It's going to be a busy day on news coming out of Victoria. So let's talk to our Richard Zussman about that, our global news reporter over on the island. Good morning, Richard. Yeah, last day of this weird uh, legislative session, midst of COVID, <laughs> post-election. Uh, it's been a curious few weeks, Simi. I'll bet. A curious, to go with a curious year then, Richard. Um, let's talk about what's going on today. There's some kind of fiscal update happening, right? Yeah, so 9 o'clock this morning, we will hear from uh, Selena Robinson, Finance Minister, provide uh, an update to the financial numbers. And this will give us a broad stroke sense of where we're at in terms of the uh budget, uh, how large that deficit is, uh, what sort of areas we have seen uh, some economic growth. Uh, We know uh, there was a substantial uh, cabinet meeting yesterday uh, where some decisions were made. One of those decisions that uh, likely was made yesterday is around that uh, ICBC uh, rebate from the pandemic. We may get a sense out of this fiscal update about how the public insurer did this year you know, due to the pandemic and whether that will mean money goes back into the pockets of British Columbians. Uh, We also understand a decision was made yesterday around supports for the tourism sector. Uh, We'll get a better sense today uh, in terms of how hard hit that sector has been in terms of a drop in revenues uh, into the provincial coffers. And so uh, it's not going to be anywhere close to a full budget. But the reason why we're getting this update now is to get sort of a sense of where we're at now as we start the vaccination process and then uh, we know that the budget is going to be pushed back potentially all the way until the end of april and the main reason that's been explained to me is because the province wants to get a sense of how the vaccination uh, process is working and whether it's having an impact on getting people back to work giving people uh, consumer confidence spending driving the economy so if they did it in sort of mid to late february is scheduled you wouldn't get that same sense so this will be sort of a bridge in terms of information until we do get that delayed budget right and this is like the first time we're going to really substantially hear from this new finance minister too it is yeah and we've heard from her a few times through press conferences over the last uh, few weeks. This is a significant role for Selena Robinson. She served as the Municipal Affairs and Housing Minister uh, in the previous iteration of the Horgan government and now has been promoted to Finance Minister with Carol James uh, leaving. And uh, we will get sort of a sense on how she is going to deliver these updates and what the messaging is going to be like. Yes, a lot of that is work through cabinet and it's a unified vision, but Selena Robinson will put her own touch on all of this. And and you're right, it's important to see what sort of priorities she has and how she communicates those priorities. Okay, so that's coming up today along with another update from Dr. Bonnie Henry with the numbers. Uh, So there's lots for them to talk about and especially with these stricter fines, right? That situation too, is that going to work? Yeah, and that's uh, an interesting thing the government announced yesterday, those slight changes to the way in which enforcement will be done in terms of giving more types of uh, officers and enforcement folks the opportunity to observe rule breakers and report that back to enforcement in order to allow for fines. And then also this idea of rushing collections. And so right now, uh, once the the due process is done on receiving a fine, uh, there is about a year-long period of grace that people are uh, given before that goes to collections. Well, 
Uh, Premier Horgan and Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth have, has asked for that to be fast-tracked. Uh, so it's just a 30-day uh, grievance period. And then once that over, collections will be on you to collect that fine if you receive a COVID-19 rule-baking ticket. The one thing I'm curious about in all this, Simi, is mm-hmm. there just hasn't been that many tickets given out for COVID. And you know that far more people are breaking the rules yeah. that have been given tickets. And, and if I'm a rule-breaker, I would weigh those two things and say, yeah, well, maybe I have to pay sooner, but I don't wor- I'm not worried I'm going to get caught anyways because the government has, uh, law enforcement know. has given out so few tickets on this anyways. I don't know. I think if a few people, um, and you know how word spreads, right, in the community with social media and all that kind of stuff, but if a few people are being forced to pay up quickly for some of these tickets, that's the kind of news I feel like travels fast. In May, and especially those big $2,300 yeah. fines. I, I think this is very similar to what we saw when tickets started being handed out for not doing up a seatbelt or ha- uh, handed out for distracted driving. You know, everybody thought they had a trick on how they could fool oh, yeah. enforcement. Loopholes. Uh, especially when it came to that distracted driving. You know, you put your phone in the cup holder or you tuck it on your lap and the police won't see it. And for anyone who's received a distracted driving ticket, you realize you can't hide. And I think it's about the sort of transition towards enforcement, better understanding how to do this, and also people, like you said, hearing stories about it. But I do still think a lot of people are weighing their options, uh, and uh, that is a stupid thing to do, uh, because like distracted driving, the result could lead in death. And we are seeing surging death numbers in long-term care. And yes, you may not have a loved one in long-term care, but that person that you're interacting with indoors in a risky situation for the spread of COVID could have a loved one in long-term care, or they could pass it to someone who works in long-term care and the virus can get into to the long-term care system that way. So right. uh, all of these, every, every interaction has risk, if doctor, as Dr. Henry often says. Right. Okay. And tomorrow uh, is also an important day for people, right? Because the um, application's open for the pandemic benefit? Yeah. So the, that's worth uh, looking for. So online applications begin tomorrow. Uh, millions of British Columbians are eligible uh, for up to $1,000. You must apply using uh, the tax data from the 2019 tax returns, uh, and the province will start uh, processing those as soon as tomorrow. And there is a possibility uh, that people will have that money in their bank accounts before Christmas, which was in part of the promise uh, from John Horgan during the campaign. A lot of people will not have the money until January, and there are a lot of questions from the opposition about whether, first off, people are going to be able uh, to process this because of the application process, and second, more importantly, that it's based on 2019 tax data, not 2020, and so many people saw a significant drop uh, in their uh, what, what they made in, in 2020, and they uh, may not get the same sort of benefit uh, in this program than I think some were hoping for. Right. Okay. Other things, though, for us to talk about. I know this is important for a lot of people out there about these food delivery charges. And it seems like one of those popular things that politicians like to talk about. But what are they actually going to do something about it? Yeah, it's amazing to me the NDP have not taken action. Exactly. On this so this is one of those things where 
you sort of take it for granted. But for restaurants, I've been told that it could be the matter of life or death, that these restaurants may have to close because it's an additional charge. So some of these delivery companies skip the dishes, Uber Eats or some of the most familiar charge up to 30% to a restaurant to deliver the food. And uh, the BC Liberals have introduced legislation capping that at 15%. It was something the NDP promised during the campaign, a 15% cap. And because it's private members legislation, they don't have to debate it. And there's a stubbornness at times in Victoria around acknowledging that the other political party has put forward something that is a good idea. And this piece of legislation seems to be sitting there as we hit the last day of the legislature and it it may not be called and there should be pressure on the government to either enact this legislation themselves or call this legislation in order to give this relief to restaurants as quickly as possible that those you know yes delivery service is crucial and hiring local people to to work for these delivery companies is crucial but the reality is restaurants are driven by local people who live in our communities and put that money back into our communities and this is a measure that um, can significantly help them and I just don't get why it hasn't been put in place yet especially because we know the NDP promised this in the campaign they yeah. just weren't the ones to introduce the legislation uh, in the legislature I know I don't, that one puzzles me too oh and on a final note we'll talk about schools here because I know this has been in the news the last couple of days Surrey Teachers Association has been very vocal and I understand they're going to be meeting with the education minister Yeah, so that was something Jennifer Whiteside mentioned yesterday and a few things out of this. You know, schools continues to be uh, a massive issue. There's a lot of concern from parents, especially in Surrey. Uh, The Surrey teachers in this letter detailed that they weren't safe. Uh, We've we've heard all this. But one of the things that also stood out to me is Surrey teachers said they brought forward a proposal asking for remote learning uh, during the week of January 4th to 11th when school is supposed to be back or is scheduled to be back in classrooms. And uh, what they were basically told is that wasn't going to be considered, that school will return as normal uh, after the Christmas break. And I think that's that's an idea that's been percolating in other jurisdictions that may be worth another look, that there's a way here to balance, yes, having those vulnerable kids back that need to be back, uh, but those who parents can manage and ensure mm-hmm. that they aren't out and about and, and potentially spreading the virus, that they remain at home to give a little bit of a break. Because we know there will be Christmas rule breakers. We have seen this after every major holiday, a surge in cases following those holidays, that this seems like a good preventative measure. Uh, not looking forward to those numbers. Okay, thank you very much, Richard. Yeah, thanks, Amy. That's Richard Desmond, our global news reporter over in Victoria. Lots to talk about on that front. Fiscal update coming at 9, and then, of course, 3 o'clock COVID-19 update. You'll hear it all right here on 980 CKNW.